for the bishops of this house, for Pastor Raymond, for elect lady Heather, for a lot of these other great men of God that you have brought us here today to share and pour into us. So, Father, we thank you. I yield myself to the perfect teaching ministry of thine precious Holy Spirit. Amen. Oh, I can hear something now. <laughs> now, that's almost a scary thing for me. When I start hearing myself, it made me want to give you some good old, mm-hmm. <laughs> Praise God. God is truly a good God. And I was so truly blessed on last night listening at Pastor Edgy. Gargata, man, God is good. Today I want to talk to you all for a few moments about something that I wished I knew. I don't know why my dad didn't tell me. I don't know why my grandfather didn't tell me. I really don't know why all of those who claim that they love me did not tell me that ministry hurts. You give your everything to ministry. But there is something that you need in order to be successful. You must have a tenacity about yourself. Refuse to lose. Refuse to lose. Refuse to just buy into the disappointments that will come. Now, the threshold, the pain threshold, ministry is emotionally challenging. You know, there, there have been times where I said, man, this guy is ready to go, and you set him up in a position, and man, all of a sudden you find out they're not ready. Because they're crying every time somebody that's working with them in ministry is not eating up everything they say. And so, not only that, our ability to manage those emotions create boundaries that influence our ministry. Now, let me give you, let me give you three biblical illustrations right here. And the first one is found in Acts 26 and 17. Listen at how this sounds now. And we believe that Luke, the physician, wrote this. He says, Deliver thee from the people and from the Gentiles, unto whom now I send thee. God will send you to people that don't even want to hear you. God will send you to a people that is not grateful. And God will send you to people that are not faithful. Yes, he will. To minister to people, 
you must be free from them. Now, there's a scripture that's important there. It's found in Jeremiah. It's in Jeremiah 1. And this is what God told him. He says, do not be afraid of their faces. You know what? Some messages God gives you to preach for the people are messages that are discipline messages. The church needs discipline every now and then. Needs to be set back in order. And what you'll find is that God is always a God that moves in the midst of confusion and trouble. If you don't believe me, just turn to Genesis. Verse 1 says, in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. But verse 2 says that God moved upon the face of the deep and the infirmity. Then God said, let there be light. And there was light. Then he separated the light from darkness. And that which was remaining, he flung the stars and the moon. God sets order in any chaotic situation. Bottom line. But you have to trust him. You have to be free from people. You got to know that you know that God has called you to this work. If you're doubting, you're not called. My father told me, I, I, I told him, Around the age of, I think I was around 14 years old when I knew that I would preach. And I went to my dad and he says, no, son, you, you, you're too young and you don't know what you're asking for. He said, come see me when you can't, when you can't run anymore. I had at least four dreams of myself in a casket. And I remember when I did it, Labor Day weekend. I surrendered to my calling into the ministry. And I did it at college, and I called my dad and told him, and he was still talking that mumbo-jumbo, and I said, well, I'll tell you what, Dad, here's the deal. It doesn't matter whether you believe it or not, I'm going to preach this Sunday. I either preach at your church or someone else's church Sunday to give my initial message. My first sermon was no place to run and no place to hide. God is real. So here's the next thing. You need to know that people like you, there will be high levels of disappointment. For the vision that God gives you for your life, and I say this all the time when I'm teaching classes, that a man that does not have a vision for his family is a dangerous man. And run as fast as you can, women, from a man that does not know where they want to take you, where, how they want their children raised and reared. Run! Run as fast as you can and as hard as you can. Then Luke 6, 26 says, Woe unto you, when all men shall speak well of you. Let me tell you something. You better watch it when people are giving you a lot of praise. Because the praise 
will have you caught up in it, and the spirit of pride will come in. Amen. I know you think I, I don't know what I'm talking about, but uh, in, in uh, I think it is Ezekiel or Isaiah, it says that Lucifer was the most decorated angel in heaven, and with his every movement, he made music and was colorful. But because he was directing the choir, he thought it was about him. And to the point he said, I'll be just like God. God comes back and this joker's talking crazy. God turns his back and says, Michael, go handle it. Then the Bible says that when, they, when, when Satan was kicked out, he fell like a fallen star, hit the earth. He is the prince of this world and the prince of the air. We miss it communication-wise sometimes. Leaders must have a clear and precise vision and mission statement and as a man and you're married you better have a mission statement you better have something clear that your wife can see or she will take a hold of the reins if you won't do it she will I promise you <laughs> so then for so did their fathers to the false prophets. And so this is what, uh, what I want to say right here. If you need everyone to agree with you, then you will be constantly frustrated. This is what frustrates us is that we see the end before the beginning. So the process of getting where God wants you to go is awful frustrating. There are some detours along the way. There is, uh, you begin to wonder if that prophecy that was given to you is really going to come to pass. You start wondering whether or not, now Lord, I, I think you asked me to come here. What do you mean you think you ought to know that you know that he has placed you where you are? And it's for your good. Well, Exodus 18, 18 says, Thou wilt surely wear away both thou and this people that is with thee. For the thing is too heavy for thee. Let me, well, let me finish reading. Thou art not able to perform it thyself alone. So if you are a frontline caregiver, it's easy to wear yourself out. Let me get more specific uh, with some laws of ministry. But before I do that, I need to look at this verse 18 again. And I want to show you something here that, that's there. It is for the task is too heavy for you. If you can do it in your own power and strength, it's not God. 
God assigns you to work that's bigger than you. Whereas you have to solicit other faith-believing Christians to come and help. Because it's not yours. It's about kingdom. Everybody say kingdom. kingdom. That means it's not about you. It's about advancing the kingdom of God. The Bible said in Isaiah that hell has increased itself. Why has it increased itself? Because you think the ministry is yours. Because you're leaving your children in the bed when you're going to church. The devil is a lie. You're not going to be in my house and not go to church. I mean, I'm kind of like uh, Joshua asked for me in my house, we're going to serve the Lord. And if you think I'm joking about it, you need to come to Will's Point and you need to find my son, Trey. He got a quick ticket out of my house. <laughs> it ain't funny. <laughs> Listen, here's the next thing about that burnout situation is this right here. You got to understand that uh, ministry is a contact sport. Ministry is a contact sport. And anybody who uh, has a problem smelling like sheep, they're not a shepherd. They have missed their calling. In the five-fold gift ministry, they thought that they were supposed to be a pastor when they were an evangelist. Evangelists come to tear up your stuff and then the pastor come put it back together again. He has to shear the sheep. Now, I don't know if y'all know much about agriculture, but I grew up on a farm, so let me just give you this illustration right here. And I showed in, in Dallas State Fair. I've been all over showing. But listen, when you take an animal to the show, before you show that animal, there are certain illusions you have to actually make happen in order for that animal to look the way you want it to look in order that the judges may have the perception that this animal is the best animal being showed. So here's the first thing you got to do. First, you have to get the animal to get uh, in the chute. Once it's in the chute, there is like a table there. You put them on their side and you tie their feet down and you begin to just grind on those hooves until they are made perfect. Not only that, you have to then go and shear. Now, if you, ha if you have a, a, a cow that has a dip in its side right here, that's not good for showing. So what you have to do is you got to, put, you got to make that uh, cow drink water, and then you have to cut close every other part of the body except for where the sink is so that the illusion won't be there. But don't be fooled when the judges go to judge your animal. They touch your animal. They put their hand on the animal. And so they, what they can't see, they can feel. Let me tell you something. If you've ever made the statement 
that I should have followed my first mind, then that meant that you allowed yourself to be talked out of what God was leading you to do. Because the Bible says that God's voice is a still, small, quiet voice, period. So you have to calm your flesh in order to be able to discipline yourself to do what God has called you to do as a leader. So it's a contact sport. And anybody who carries the ball, anybody that's going to receive the ball, they get hit. And they get hit hard. You think about running a deep post route and a safety is back there. Do y'all remember Roy Williams with the Dallas Cowboys? He would knock your head off. I can go back further than that. Ronnie Lott, you wouldn't want to catch a ball with Ronnie Lott playing safety because he'd knock your helmet off. He'd hit you so hard, you'll feel it for two weeks. What are you saying? This is all I'm saying to you is this. You ought to, as a leader, absorb emotional hits all the time, and you need to be prepared for them. Let me tell you, you're going to be hurt. I hate, I, I hate to bust your bubble. Uh, your feelings are going to get hurt. You're going to be disappointed, not only at the church, but you're going to be disappointed in your home. You're going to be disappointed by your children from time to time. Oh, I wish somebody would be real in here. Because that's all I am. I'm being real. Now, look, the next thing, you will play hurt. Now, Cal Ripken is considerably one of the best baseball players to ever play the game. But you want to know what his mark truly is, is that he played hurt, and he played consecutive games more than any other major league baseball player. And they asked him, how did you do it? He said these words. He says, I learned how to play hurt. There's a difference between being hurt and being injured. When you're hurt, you need to get out of your feelings and learn how to navigate yourself out of it. You need to start speaking some word over yourself. I'm the head and not the tail. I'm above and not beneath. I'm blessed going in. I'm blessed coming out. Y'all looking at me funny. I'm just trying to help somebody. You cannot play hurt all the time. Have you ever been on the team and, and, and somebody is very gifted, but every time you turn around, they limping off the field. The trainers are coming out and the coaches, you all right? And when they get up, they run like nothing happened. And you're like, what is that? Listen, yes, there are difficult moments in life. But there must be also times of healing to build. Remember, with every hurt, God has some balm for it. Big Mama called it SAS. Today, it comes in a little tube called Neil Sporn. 
and, 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 and older people that didn't know how to read, they would sing a song that Jesus is my doctor. He writes all my scriptures. I, I want you to know he's a healer. And you're looking at a living witness that God can heal your body. So if he can heal your physical body, what do you think he can do with your spirit and your emotion? And a matter of fact, he deals with that first before you're able to manifest it in the physical. Come on, somebody. Now, leaders, you got to understand something. Stop whining and crying because the work is hard and long. I'm so sick and tired of holding leaders' hands. And there is no such thing as you're off. Leaders in ministry, let me give you what your clock is, your time, 24-7. There's always somebody at my church that can call me and get a hold of me. I don't care if I go to New Zealand. Because my responsibility is for every soul that God has given to me. And if you're a leader, I might as well just go throw, throw this in for free, okay? You might not be the home director, but maybe you've been assigned to make sure the dormitory is clean. Maybe you've been assigned to make sure that the dinner is ready, the lunch is ready, the breakfast is ready. Maybe you've been assigned to make sure that the vehicles have been properly maintenance in order for us to go and do the work of the ministry. Maybe that's it. Maybe your job is just ironing pastor's clothes. And then if you're like me, sometimes you got a bad spirit. How come he can't use his own hands? But you know what happens in, in that act? When you show that humility and stop complaining about it and be happy that you're earning the shepherd's clothes. I'm, man, I got some. I ain't got time to fool with y'all like that. Listen, listen. No one was more honest about the price of ministry more than Paul. Paul had, man, he had this roller coaster of emotions. He was up here, then he was down low. To the point that in 2 Corinthians, he said, I had hoped that I'd die. You know what's scary? What about if God takes a building, a church from you, and sends you to a city where you know nobody, and say, do the work. And you start having to have church in an apartment. Then you move from there to the recreation center or to a ballroom. Then you're still praying for God for provision to take you to the next place. Understand this. Write this down. Uh, leadership must submit and be committed to the process. You can't take any shortcuts. 
You don't know what all I've been through to get that building up over there. I'm telling you, it was pure de hell. I had, I had deacon chairman to stand up and say I was a liar in the midst of 200 people in the middle of Bible study. Now, y'all know me. <laughs> I, you know, pray for my spirit. I stopped Bible study and said, meet me in the office. <laughs> and I appointed someone else to finish the study. So this is what he writes. Now, you got to keep in mind that uh, Paul writes two-thirds of the New Testament. Most of the New Testament is his experience on each one of his missionary journeys. Look at what he says, he says. In journeys often, in pearls of water, in pearls of robbers, in pearls of my own countrymen, in pearls of the Gentiles, in pearls of the city, in pearls in the wilderness, in pearls in the sea, in pearls along among uh, false brethren. You know what? Everybody that's close to you is not for you. Everybody that's close to you is not for you. But so that you may be a wise, wise leader, you keep them close so that you can understand the tool and the trick and the strategy that the enemy is trying to do. Now, most of that is done through prayer, but some of it you got to just pick your hands up and say, listen, man, <laughs> we ain't going that way. And if you don't like it, if you don't believe in this vision, then you need to get your grip and get out. There are some people that will never enter the larger room with you because they no longer have the vision that God has given you. The vision evolves because God is a progressive God. Well, listen, that might be a leader that has to be dismissed, and that's okay. That's called organizational flux. You're going to have people for whatever level God is taking you to, some of your leaders have to leave because if not, they will put leaven in your bread and spoil the whole loaf. And as a leader, you ought to go to them and say, listen, we're not going to talk that junk. We're not going to conduct ourselves in this manner. If you have a problem with my pastor, you go see him. You got a problem in home, go see the home director. Women, if you got a problem, go see Mother Heather. If not, see the home director. And let me tell you something. If you're, if you're a home director, you ought to be the buffer. You ought to be, when we, when we defract on Monday morning to give assignments and things of that nature, you ought to be able to tell your pastor that, Pastor, we had an issue, and this is the decision that I made. Because you already know your pastor's heart and mind. Anybody with me? So then he says, not only that, 
he says in here, weariness and toil, sleeplessness often. Listen, when you're leading people, you're going to have a lot of sleepless nights. Have you ever, has God ever brought somebody to your face during your prayer time? And you're wondering why you hadn't talked to them in a while, you hadn't seen them in a while, but their face comes up during your prayer time. And then you bump into them down the line and they'll say, man, I've been through this, that, and the other, but the Lord brought me through. You can tell them, listen, God brought you before my face and I fell on my face and talked to the Father about your concern." So then he goes on and he says, uh, in hunger and thirst and fastings often. You know, sometimes you got to stop eating natural food so that you can get clarity, so that you can get a clear perspective. Now, don't nobody love food better than me. I promise you, I can tell y'all some food I've eaten, my God. Then some of y'all get mad at me because I don't know whether Pastor Raymond put a fast on or not. <laughs> In colder nakedness besides the other things, what comes upon me daily, listen, every day you wake up, you ought to be ready to be crucified. The Bible says that Jesus says, take up the cross daily and follow me. You might want to write that down. Get out of your feelings. God is not, listen, listen, listen. Your covenant is more important than your feelings when you are a leader. I don't always do it because I feel like it. I don't feel like preaching every Sunday. I don't feel like going to the hospital. I definitely don't feel like preaching funeral services. Especially when it's a 25-year-old the same age as my son. Then inner conflict takes place. Amen. I'm moving on. When you get to the end there, when you start talking about deep concern for all the churches who is weak and I am not weak. Listen, here's a good point that I need to tell you right now. Everybody can't be weak at the same time. And if everybody in the house is tore down and messed up, then there's something wrong. God always leaves a remnant that's ready to, to, to just go into action. Bottom line. Here we go. So, the man of God who would write two-thirds of the Bible, I already gave you all that information, so now we need to go to Ministry grows to the level of your pain threshold. If you can't stand no more than 20 folks, that's all you're going to ever have in your church. That's all you're ever going to have in your home. Want to know why, why you, you can't expand it? It's because maybe you're not, you don't have the capacity to withhold more. Which also is an indication that maybe you need more training. Maybe you need to go somewhere else and see what it looks like on a larger scale. I don't always take appointments to preach everywhere somebody calls me, but I do take those appointments who 
from pastors who have churches larger than mine so that my church can see how you're supposed to conduct yourself so that we can all move together into what we see. And my God, my God, you, you know. So 1 Corinthians 10, 13 says, No test or temptation that comes your way is beyond the course of what others have faced too. Stop crying, poor me. Y'all do remember when Elijah did that, don't you? He was on Mount Carmel. He said, God, I'm the only one under. He said, I got 10,000 just like you. You're not the only one that's called. You're not the only one that possesses the anointing. You're not the only one that knows the word that will break the yokes of bondage off of people. But you better thank him that you do have a word. And one thing about it, it's not you, it's the word. The Bible says when the word goes forth, it accomplishes that in which he set it out to do. You can be just as corrupt as you want to be, but when you open up the Bible and preach the Bible, God's word is stronger than your cesspool lifestyle. You all need to remember that God will never let you down. I've tried him so many times, and I know I didn't deserve it, but God did it anyhow. And listen, he's never... He will never let you be pushed past your limit. We always feel like, Lord, I can't take no more. Listen, if it's in your life, God allowed that assignment to come into your life. And here's the reason why. Adversity makes you stronger. Adversity builds stronger bonds of relationship with those that serve with you. Adversity builds your personal character and integrity. Why y'all ain't saying nothing? I ain't slapping nobody. I'm just saying. That's why I can tell you, that's why I can tell you that I know that I know that God put Tabitha in my life as my wife. When you're facing two to 20 and, 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 and your wife is pregnant, and you already got six children. And you toe down, broke down because you've been in a nine-bar hotel and you're waiting. And when you do see your wife and she has to speak encouragement to you and believe in you, take the money that she's earned because you just threw away $70,000 just being a fool. Come on, somebody. Oh, that's too close to home. Let's move on then. <laughs> He'll always be there to help you through it all. Understand this. The Bible says that he is a very present help in time of trouble. So then pain causes us to lose our perspective. Pain creates a distortion towards your inner man. First of all, Ourselves, our self-image, I'm not doing any good. Failure becomes my identity. Pastor Edgy said it last night, you don't ever accept mediocrity, only excellence. 
Excellence will cost you something. Excellence will get you rebuked. Excellence will get you talked about. Excellence will get you ostracized. All right, I'm moving on. Then, then, then look here. Look here. Others. I seek isolation because people are not, are nothing but problems. And if anyone close to me, they will hurt me. Uh, in Proverbs, it says, I was wounded in the house of my friend. The biggest hurts you're ever going to experience in your life is going to come from the people that you live with and that you were born into the nuclear family with. Y'all can look and say, but now that ain't true. Yes, it is. You think about it. Just reflect. Just reflect a little bit. The biggest hurts you've ever had was that. Then God, I must not be called because stuff's not going right. I would be doing better than this if God called me. But even more importantly, I feel like God doesn't even care. Well, if you feel that way, you need to fall down on your knees. You need to get prostrate to the ground. And you need to pray until the power of God shows up. Amen. You got to tarry until he show up. Let me go on and get through this because I don't want man. God Almighty. Uh, in Peter, it says, cast your cares upon him for he cares for you. Always know no matter how bad the circumstance, God cares for you. So much so that the Bible says, while we were yet sinners, he died for us. That's why I shout. That's why I preach. That's why I run. That's why I sing. That's why I hold the door. Because while I was in my worst state, he died for me. And that's the reason for me to shout hallelujah and thank you, Jesus. I mean, I ain't trying to trip. I'm just saying. Lessons. The lesson is clear. Pain that is unaddressed causes you to lose hope. You have to address the pain inside of you. You have to look at it. You have to put it out there and you have to look at it. If you're going to build a healthy relationship, you have to look at it. You have to address it. You cannot act like it's not there. Now, this is clinical stuff here. What I'm telling you is if you never address that pain, you're going to bring that baggage into a new relationship and you'll be treating the person that God gave you like the person you just got out of relationship with. Leaders do that because they fall into a series of fatal traps. Here we go. Let me give you some principles to think about. Leaders are agents of change. Hey, listen. Pastor may have told me something two months ago, but now when I'm talking to him, he gives me a new assignment because God has shifted his vision. God has given him more clarity on what to do in this hour. In this hour. Everybody say in this hour. In this hour. So stop tripping because your job description changes from time to time. That's what I loved about Pastor Edgy. He said, I was doing sound. I was cleaning the church. I would, man, he did so much stuff. I don't know how he was able to study any word. 
That's a lot of stuff he was talking about. And then uh, change is never pain free. So be honest about it. I don't want to do it. But pastor, if you say this is where we're going, I'm going to do that. Okay, as a leader, you will feel other people's pain. The Bible said that when Jesus went into the city, he was moved with compassion. If you never feel anything, when you see people hurting, then I'm going to question whether you know Jesus or not. Because the heart of God is to minister to the broken and to the mending of the broken hearts. Come on now, I'm finna get through. Y'all read the rest of that stuff there. Uh, uh, listen, uh, God's standard is different than ours. We see numbers, but he stresses faithfulness. Numbers will go up and down. They will go up and down. Anybody's been in the ministry anytime? They'll tell you there are seasons when, we're, when, when man, the harvest is coming in. But then there are seasons when, man, we're, we're to bare bones, okay? But don't let that frustrate you. That just means that God is getting ready to bring somebody to the ministry that you need to go to the next dimension. I don't talk in terms of levels because levels are natural processes, natural things, all right? People's pain. Let's look at that. Acts. 6-1, people's pain. Now at this time, while the disciples were increasing in number, a complaint arose on the part of the Hellenistic Jews against the native Hebrews because their widows were being overlooked in the daily serving of food. Let me tell you something, you all. The only reason why we have deacons is because the apostles said this. What need have we to take ourselves away from the word to go serve tables? Look out among you and find seven men of good report, trustworthy men, men that are faithful, men that are good husbands, good fathers, good city and countrymen. And you bring their name to us and we'll talk to God about them. And then the laying on of hands, the reason why we lay on hands is because that means that I have transferred authority and dominion to that person. He has my blessing. So the same anointing I have, I transfer to them. Now they can enhance it. You got that. Okay, personal pain. Acts 2, 20, 22, 23. You got me? And now behold, bound by the Spirit, I am on my way to Jerusalem, not knowing what, willing, what will happen to me there. Except the Holy Spirit seldom testifies to me in every city. Listen, just because you feel him does not mean that he's not here. And just because you don't see his fingerprint does not mean that he, does not, that he is not there. Just because you don't feel nothing don't mean that God is not present. So then the next thing is, he says, he says, saying that the bonds 
and afflictions await me. So let's go on down. Staff pain. Sometimes you got to be willing to take the hit for pastor so that pastor can keep his focus on the vision that God has given him. Then you got me, Acts 15, 37, 38. Barnabas wanted to, wanted to take John and called Mark along with him also, but kept insisting that they should not take him along, but that they should desert him. And the reason why that came up, Paul had not trusted him because he was not trustworthy. Let me just go on and get through and give y'all these points right here. So, uh, growing pains, you need to understand this right here. Defining nature, the pains help uh, to lead us through it. So, the key is different for each type of pain. People's pain is organizational reconstruction and leadership development. Personal pain. Is a clear sense of my purpose. The reason why I am where I am is because God willed it to be so. Staff pain. Determination to cultural fit and compatibility commitment levels. Growing pains. Fresh eyes from the outside people and opportunities of consultation. So then I need to tell you on my way to my seat, is that sometimes you have to encourage yourself. Your wife's not going to always encourage you. I wish I could say that they will. Sometimes they will tell you the harsh truth, and you'll wonder, do you really love me, girl? So then what it says is, I encourage you to learn to do so it is one promise to keep with you when things are rough. It says, no temptation has overtaken us such as is common to man. But God is faithful. Everybody say, he's faithful. He's faithful. My God in here. If you believe that, you should have had something moving in your belly right there. Who will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you're able. I wish I had a witness in here. So after you leave the program and you get sent back, we're not sending you back to the same place where the temptation is. We set you up in a different community. That way you can w do the work of the ministry and then when thou art converted, then go strengthen thy brother. I have to be stronger than what I am right now in order to be able to go and save my brother. Snatched him from darkness into the marvelous light. Well, if I was at Antioch, I would say, church, good night. And I would tell you that God has been a good God. Amen. There are about seven things you have to know as a leader. And those seven things are this. First, you got to know the facilities that you serve in. Then you have to know the ministry model. Then thirdly, you got to know the needs and the mindset of the people that you serve. But then the fourth thing is community dynamics. You need to know the people around you so that you can uh, serve the right meal to them. But then the next thing is you got to have a staff that's competent. 
I don't need to be holding your hand. I ought to just be able to give you a word and you go running. I wish I had a witness in here. And then your heart ought to be the heart of your pastor. I wish I had a witness in here. And then not only that, I want you to know you ought to have such a revelance about what God has done in your life. Nobody wants to hear anybody that has not been through anything. Lord, deliver me from somebody that had not been through anything. I want you to know I've been through the storm. I've been through the rain. But oh, I made it. And I thank God. I made it. So I'm still pressing on. I'm still fighting. Even though I feel weak. Even though I'm hurting. I'm pressing. God said, is that my grace sufficient for thee? God makes you weak that he may show himself to be strong. Oh, glory to God. Glory to God. I'm through with this paper. But I'm just wondering. Good God. I'm just wondering, has anybody gone through some hell in high water like me? 